Welcome to War Stories from the Womb. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm an economist and a writer and the mother of two girls. These days, the word mother can mean a lot of different things. As today's guest shares, she sought out the birth of her first child, but the second pregnancy was unintended. Her preference for family size clashed with her partners. Although she may have been open to terminating the pregnancy, her partner was not. She was living in a state whose majority is not particularly supportive of a woman's right to choose, and she was brought up in a religion in which abortion is not considered a reasonable choice. And so began a very emotionally taxing pregnancy and birth. She shares how she managed these challenging circumstances, which I think is an important story to share, especially right now when such black and white ideas about pregnancy and birth are in abundant circulation. After we spoke, I talked with a fantastic OB who has much more exposure to ambivalence about pregnancy than most of us, and she shares her insights. And one other note to add, everyone in this conversation has dogs at home, and it seems all dogs were desperate to be a part of this episode. So you'll hear everyone's dogs at some point. Let's get to this inspiring story. Hi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can you introduce yourself and tell us where you're from? I am Jenny Case, and I am currently in Conway, Arkansas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Excellent. Jenny, we're going to talk about the family you and your partner created, but mm -hmm. sometimes the family you came from influences some of those choices. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, do you have siblings? I do. I'm the middle child of three. So an older brother and a younger sister. Are the three of you close in age? My brother is... 14 months older than me. My sister oh, wow. is four years younger. So he and I are very close in age. Wow. Yeah. So did that influence your thinking at all about how many kids you want or how close you want them or? It did. When I was growing up, I was close with my brother until we both became teenagers, which I think is pretty typical, especially yeah. of male, female siblings. And I wasn't very close with my sister. She was four years younger, right? And so my brother and I kind of excluded her sometimes from our childhood games. So when we were contemplating having a second child or thinking about having more than one, I worried about the age difference. And my, my kids, I have two, are four years apart. And I worried that they wouldn't be close as a result. And four years might just be too, too large of a gap. Well, I'm interested to see how that turned out. So, so, so when you walked into pregnancy, what ideas did you have about what pregnancy would be like? I was just curious about pregnancy. I wanted with my first child in particular, I just wanted to have that bodily experience. It seemed significant, something that it seemed like experiencing life meant or the fullness of life for me it meant also trying to experience the fullness of, of pregnancy. So I was really curious what that would be like. And I wanted to hopefully feel grounded and whole in my body and have it be really a, a kind of embodied experience for me. That's super interesting. And, and <laughs> did you get pregnant easily? I did. Yeah. I was one of those lucky people, I guess. So you found out with a home kit? Mm-hmm. And what was the pregnancy like? The pregnancy, it was pretty smooth with my oldest, who's my daughter. I didn't have many complications except for the high blood pressure at the end. I had my blood pressure, I think, during the third trimester 
just kept going up. And so I worked with a midwife and she started to get concerned, which made me start to get concerned. So otherwise, you know, I was interested in an unmedicated birth and I was fairly active, you know, kind of a green, crunchy vegetarian. So I thought I was doing everything right and was really interested in being as healthy as possible and doing prenatal yoga. And then to have my body seem to rebel by just having a high blood pressure was a strange adjustment. So it sounds like you hadn't had that experience before. There no high blood pressure. No, I usually have pretty low blood pressure. In fact. So, so let's get to the birth then. How, How do you know today's the day? That's with, with both my pregnancies, that's a really interesting question, right? Because how I approached pregnancy, I wanted to feel my body. I wanted just to be really present in that experience. And I was really frustrated near the end of my first pregnancy because I kept having Braxton Hicks contractions every night from like 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Oh, wow where I couldn't sleep. I thought maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. But then it wasn't, they would go away, you know, as the sun started to, to come up. And I was so frustrated because I was exhausted from being up for three hours every night and, you know, thinking, is this it, is it, is this it? So in the end with her, I had to, I was induced for high blood pressure. So they did Pitocin and everything. And so I didn't get that experience. Wait, so slow down there. So where do you get to the point where they say, okay, we're going to have to induce you. And, and how does that all unfold? Yeah, I had, I think I had a, you know, at that point I was meeting with the midwife once a week. And so I had an appointment on Thursday. And you're like, like 37 weeks or are you closer? 38, about 38. Yeah. And it was high, right? So they made me go to the hospital and they're kind of triage area for pregnant women and lay there for a while to see if my blood pressure would go down on its own. And then they sent me home and said, I need to be on bed rest that weekend in order to get my blood pressure down and then go back on Monday. And they were hoping the two midwives who I was working with at that point were hoping that my body would just go into labor on its own or my blood pressure would be down and they could, you know, wait it out a little longer. But instead it was still high on Monday, of course. Right. Cause I was nervous. <laughs> and did it, did it feel like anything to you? No, no, it didn't. Yeah. So that, that feels like a particular cheat for someone who wants yeah. to be embodied, right? This yeah. mystery number that you can't control and don't feel. Yeah, exactly. Is, is generating this birth. So you come point. in on Monday and they say, we're just, we're going to have to induce you. Yep. They said, well, we have to do this. It's not safe. And then, you know, I was rushed off. I think I was crying because that's not how I wanted my birth to be. It's hard to have an unmedicated birth if they immediately start you on Pitocin, right? So it seemed like what I had wanted was sabotage from the start before anything could even happen. I assume they'll do an unmedicated birth with Pitocin if you have high blood pressure or no, that's not. Yeah, because they're worried it's preeclampsia or it's going to develop into preeclampsia. So I think they're thinking is if your blood pressure is consistently high like that, it's not safe and you need to get the baby out. Okay. So does that mean that they're, you're definitely having an epidural or what does that mean? They did Pitocin and it was up to me on whether or not I'd have the epidural. So what was interesting about my first birth is I was on Pitocin. It was fast, right? So I was actually only in labor for about five hours, which I've been told is extremely quick for a first time mother, especially 
an induction. So my body probably was about ready, even if it didn't start the way I wanted it to. Just to put Jenny's five hours of labor in context. So labor progresses in three stages. And the first stage with all the contractions is usually what people think of when they talk about active labor. The stats on this are a little suspect because how people measure labor varies. But in general, according to the NIH, that first stage takes on average between 12 and 19 hours. So they started me on Pitocin. I tried, you know, I kept refusing other pain meds, not because I'm against them, but just because my goal was not to have an unmedicated birth. So I kept refusing them. And, and, then, wait, and what's the pain like? How do you, how do you it feel? Was, it was intense. Yeah, okay. it was intense. Like I lost, I don't know if most women feel like this, but I just the, all the sensations went inward, right? I lost sight of what was, what else was happening in the room. Someone could be looking at me, their head two feet away. And I wasn't entirely aware of them. I was just internal at that point. But so I probably would have asked for an epidural if that part lasted a whole lot longer, but, but it didn't. Then suddenly, you know, they said it was time to push. So. Wow. That is really fast for a first one. Yeah. And I mean, the midwife had come in to check me in the hospital and thought she had more time. So she left to go get lunch or dinner. And then the nurses suddenly had to call her and say, no, you need to come back here. She's about there. So wow. it was unexpectedly quick. It sounds like you got to do it in an unmedicated way. Yeah. I had Pitocin, but I didn't have an epidural. So it was okay in the long run. And was the birth what you expected it to be? It was, that's a good question. I think I was kind of in awe of how physical it was and how much you don't control it at some point, right? It felt very much probably around the time I was transitioning that your body just takes over. Yeah. And what I wanted didn't matter. It was my body. I wasn't telling my body to do things. My body was going to do it and it was going to, to work to get this baby out, whether I was ready or not. And that was a really, you know, for someone who wanted that embodied experience, that was a really powerful realization for me to just feel my body do what it needed to do. It feels like the high blood pressure is a bit of a teaser. Yeah. That, like, look, you already have no control. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's not painful yet. Yep. <laughs> and then after the birth, did that look kind of the way you had envisioned were you, that you were hoping for? It was so physical, right? I wasn't prepared to be bleeding that long and to have to do so much postpartum care every time you have to go to the bathroom and the smells and everything. That was just very surprising to me. And I had stitches because, you know, she came so fast. I had a second, third degree tear. I forget which one. So I had stitches and just all that care surprising. I don't think I was adequately prepped for that part of it. But so the physicality stood out to me there as well. And then I, I breastfed both of my kids and it surprised me how long it took to become comfortable with that. Like it was those first two weeks are hard and I can definitely understand why many women just can't make it past those first two weeks if they want to breastfeed, especially if they don't have supports. I mean, I remember one night, like my 
nipple was burning and I couldn't get my daughter to latch and I was crying and I was frustrated and my husband was calling the clinic to see what to do because he didn't know what to do with, you know, his crying wife here who can't breastfeed at 11 p.m. And so that surprised me. You thought it would be more, quote, natural? Or yeah, I thought easy? natural meant easy, right? But natural yeah. does not mean easy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's particularly interesting. I just saw some article today about uh, the the infant formula shortage. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. my youngest is 18, and I, like, it set me in a panic. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it's a terrifying thing to imagine. Yeah. And people suggesting you should just breastfeed. Yeah. It seems like that is a suggestion that comes from someone who's never breastfed. Yes. Yes. And who isn't, I mean, even if you do breastfeed, there are so many challenges you face. Like, you know, I worked. So pumping is its own issue <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and balancing all of that. And yeah, it's complicated. So it, but how was, how's the baby in the fourth trimester? She's fine. She's. Yep. Yep. She but, was, she was good. And now it sounds like for the second child, it was unplanned. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, his was unplanned. So he was an unplanned pregnancy. So is that, you caught that because you missed your period or how did that happen? I, yep, I missed my period. So we had, I had actually told my husband I was done having kids. I didn't want to have any more. And then a month and a half after I hadn't gotten my period and then I took a test and it was positive. So psychologically, it was a lot to adjust to. I can imagine. What were there? What was your husband looking forward to having more kids, or were you guys on the same page? We weren't. So that was part of, part of what made it so difficult. He wanted more than one kid, a lot more than I did. So we weren't in agreement there. And that child is how old now? He's now five. Five. So obviously mm -hmm. we, we kept the child. Yep. How, can, do you remember that road? How did you, how did you sort of get over the initial resistance to the idea? Oh, that took a long time for me. And, you know, it was caught up a lot in questions of choice and questions of bodily autonomy and what do you do in this situation? And, you know, that can be a big rift between partners and it certainly was for us. And then, but what do you do when you're caught in the middle of it? Right. And how much do you want to put a relationship at risk? I can look online at places like the Guttmacher Institute or the CDC to see that almost half of all pregnancies are defined as unintended, but to give a broader context to Jenny's particular experience, I took her story to a trusted OB. Today, we're lucky enough to have Dr. Metatyahu on the show, a fabulous OB from California who's got a lot of experience with these issues. So Dr. Metatyahu, thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> thanks so much, Paulette. I love being on your show. Great. Okay. So today we're going to talk about Jenny, who's a writer, and I'm going to read from her writing about her issues. And she's a piece called A Political Pregnancy Published in the Rumpus. And I'm just going to read little excerpts here. So she writes, the spring that Trump wins the Republican primary, I discover I'm pregnant with my second child. The pregnancy is unintended, a surprise. A month after I tell my husband that I want to stop at one child, my urine on a stick reveals two pink lines. My reaction isn't joy. I'm deeply conflicted. But when I mention potentially terminating the pregnancy, my husband walks out of the room, refusing to discuss it. Earlier that winter, when we were still debating a second child, my husband had said his purpose was to be a father. The fact that I no longer wanted a second child snared the space between us, 
so that it was me holding him back, me stopping him from fulfilling his vocation. I'm guessing that this isn't Jenny's experience alone. And I'm wondering if women have brought these kinds of issues to you in your practice. Yes. And I, I actually have a couple that I can even think of in particular, because this is a little bit different from someone who's not in a stable relationship that comes with an unwanted pregnancy. It's more memorable and, and, and sometimes a more emotionally charged conversation when someone who's in a stable relationship has an unplanned pregnancy, maybe has a child already. It's, it's a really, it's a hard conversation and not, I mean, I would say not a hard conversation for me personally, but, but a, definitely I can feel like it's an emotionally much more challenging conversation and decision for the, for the woman. I'm just grappling with all of those and what cultural messages were we bringing to the conversations. And so that took me, I would say, <laughs> I mean, five years to, to work through. I've done a lot of writing. I've written a lot of essays about motherhood, trying to work through all of the, the social and cultural and personal issues that came up. Talk a little more about the cultural message. What, what do you mean by that? I think, I guess I don't think... Or in my experience, there's not a lot of supportive cultural messages out there for women who are experiencing an unintended pregnancy. There aren't a lot of stories. I at least didn't have access to them. I'm from, you know, a Catholic background and there. It's very clear what you should do if you have an unintended pregnancy, right? There's no option available. So that's one cultural message. And then I think even within more progressive communities, there's a sense that you make the choice you want to make and you approach birth or reproduction or pregnancy from as empowered a position as you can. And it was hard to find guidance for kind of that messy middle ground where, you know, you just have all of these conflicting emotions and you don't quite know what to do. And it seems like you're going to disappoint someone no matter what, whether it's yourself or your husband or your mother or, you know, whoever voices in your heads. And I found that challenging, you know, even especially right now, right? Roe v. Wade is likely going to be overturned or weekend. And I'm in Arkansas, right? Which is, I'm now in Arkansas, which is a very conservative area, part of the Bible Belt. And most of you know, there are a large percentage of the community here is what we'd call pro-life. So what happens if someone has an unintended pregnancy surrounded by cultural messages that say abortion or choosing something different is taboo or not something you should even consider? And those can be heavy messages to try and work through, especially if you yourself are struggling with what to do. Outside the doctor's office, most of us don't see the hard conversations that may be happening. I took this issue to Dr. Matadiahu. There's so much cultural baggage around ways to handle unintended pregnancies that you do not want to carry out. So this is very much of a struggle for her. So here's another excerpt. She says, when I say I'm not excited for this child, he says, I'll be excited for both of us. And something inside of me shrivels and cracks. Because what does that mean for him to be excited enough for both of us? for me to become the body carrying a child others want. So when Jenny is living and writing about, reflects our larger cultural conversation about bodily autonomy, do patients come to you with questions about abortion and share their conflicted feelings? And how do you navigate that? So I 
I have a lot of those conversations. I think those are two two aspects of the of the problem. So I often will have a conversation with most women about this decision to keep or not keep the pregnancy will impact you for the rest of your life, no matter which decision you make. Right. This is a life-changing decision because for the rest of your life, you will either regret your decision that you kept or didn't keep the baby. You know, like for the rest of your life, you're going to say, I would have had a one-year-old at this point. I would have had a two-year-old. I would have had this. Or for the rest of your life, you'll say, oh, I'm so glad I had this baby, even though I didn't want it. Or you might say, I love my child, but I would have completed school. I would have kept my job. I would have this, I would have that. And so it's an impactful decision, no matter which way you go. And I, and I think that most people it's about, do I keep this life or, or do I feel like it's going to ruin my life either emotionally or et cetera, you know, and then what's it going to do to my relationship? Like if you're in a stable relationship and you're making this decision and your partner is against that decision, that has a huge impact on your relationship. Cause if you're keeping the baby, because your husband really wants it, but do you, you don't, okay, now your husband's happy, but you're feeling resentful and miserable. And how, what's that going to do to your relationship? Is it like, it's so charged when you're in a monogamous relationship, you already have a child together. And now you, you can't even have a discussion about a current pregnancy. Oh, I totally agree. And in fact, I'm, I'm working on an episode on abortion and it's very hard to get anyone to come and talk about it Yeah, because whether you're from a Catholic background or not, that message is so pervasive and yeah. people feel shame. Yeah. And I keep, I keep saying to people, let's normalize this. It's yeah. a care choice. Yeah. Your reproduction has got to be in your control. It's too dramatic a transformation of your entire life for someone else to decide that yeah. for you. Yeah. But people are still completely reluctant to talk about it because they feel shame around it. Yeah. So what you're hoping the standard and the ideal is, is very much in conflict with yes. a million other messages, yes. right? And that makes it so difficult in that moment, right? When you do have to make a decision, because I think that decision for many people, whether or not to continue or terminate an unintended pregnancy is going to be complicated. Yep. Sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes the, the answer is an easy yes or no for many women, but I think oftentimes it's not an easier yes or no. It's something people grapple with. And I think it's hard to grapple with that personally, but it's especially hard. I think maybe even possible sometimes to grapple with that when there's so many cultural messages and taboos and so much shame associated with with that choice. So unintended pregnancy is very common, as mentioned before. It accounts for almost half of all pregnancies. The lion's share of those happen when birth control isn't used properly and the rest happen when birth control is being used properly. In your experience, is unintended pregnancy usually a complicated issue or by the time people get to you, they're they're more settled? That's a great question. I would say off the top of my head, maybe it's like half and half. And so, so I feel like there's a lot of young women who come in and unintended pregnancy, maybe they're not in a stable relationship, they're not sure what to do. We talk through what are the pros? What are the cons? What are they thinking? What what are the consequences? You know, are they in school or do do they have help? You know? And so, so I think that there's, there's definitely a number of, of women that will come in and be really conflicted. And then, you know, there's women who are married and their husband wants another one. They don't, this is unintended. And there's a lot of conversation around that. And, And then there's a number of young women who get pregnant and they are very clear, like they call or they 
send me a message and say, I'm pregnant. How soon can we talk about taking care of this? And so for a lot of women, they see a positive pregnancy test. They're like, this is not for me. And then they, they just proceed without, you know, without having much of a conversation about it because they, they know what they want. And then there's, there's women who come in, they're like, this wasn't planned. And they're, you know, they sort of voice through it and they say, you know what, not unplanned, but welcomed. And so we have a lot of unplanned, but welcomed pregnancies where they're like, well, you know, I, I wasn't careful. I knew this was a possibility. I was just being stupid, but I, I think I'm coming to terms with it. It really runs the gamut. It reflects that it's a complicated issue, right? So there's a lot of different responses to it. Yeah. And I think it's a hard conversation to have. And I, and I, and I sort of applaud women who feel comfortable coming to the office and sitting and having that conversation. Because I think women that come in, I, I think that they anticipate being judged. There's so many women that come in with an unplanned pregnancy and think that they're supposed to act excited. And when they come to my office and I and I say right up front, how are you feeling about this pregnancy? Then sometimes they'll take a step back and say, you know, I'm actually not sure. And you can tell they're embarrassed to even admit that. And it allows me to say, you know, there's no judgment here. Why don't we have a conversation about how you're feeling about this? You get to decide on what happens with your body and your pregnancy and, and there's no judgment. So if you want to have that conversation, we can have that conversation. And it opens up the door for women who are really embarrassed to talk about their ambivalence about the pregnancy. I think that most people feel like, well, I'm supposed to be happy about a pregnancy, especially if they're in a committed relationship. They feel like, well, I'm in a committed relationship. I was being stupid about birth control. So this is my fault. I just have to suck it up. And, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of hesitancy about bringing up whether they feel okay about the pregnancy. I think women are embarrassed or uncomfortable or guilty if they don't embrace a pregnancy. And I think that there should be room for them to express their desire not to have a pregnancy or, or maybe to eventually come around to wanting a pregnancy. I think there's a discomfort with expressing not wanting a pregnancy, but, but mostly I think the discomfort is if you're in a relationship, that's a committed relationship, especially if you've had another kid, it's almost like, like, how could you not? And, and so there, there's a lot more judgment for that subset of women. So what was the pregnancy like, given that you were ambivalent? It was hard. I mean, it was really hard. I, you know, struggled, you know, for someone who wanted an embodied pregnancy, I felt not very embodied because it was hard for me to feel present in my life at that particular moment. So it was, you know, I struggled a lot with the fact that I wasn't excited and what that would mean. And if that meant I would be a terrible mother. And, you know, if I was ruining his life already, because I wasn't excited and wasn't welcoming of the experience. So it was really difficult. As you can imagine, it's a real struggle for Jenny throughout the pregnancy. And she develops peripartum depression. And she writes, I get counseling and try to think positively about the birth. But a journal entry of mine written in early November is full of fear. Fear that I won't bond, that I won't be happy, that something will go very, very wrong, and I won't be a good mother to this child. So I'm imagining, you know, fear of not being a good parent is normal enough. And, you know, every first time mom probably has that. This is a very different situation. And Jenny's conflict is that she feels so negatively about this baby that she's worried about what the consequence of that is. 
And I'm wondering if you think there is a consequence or is she creating a chemistry that is somehow affecting the baby? A couple different things in that. So women that are depressed, anxious, having mental health issues during pregnancy, there have been some studies done to try and parse out what kind of impact does that have on the unborn child? I don't know that we have a great answer for that, but I think in addition to women feeling depressed and anxious, now they're worried, is my depression and anxiety impacting my unborn child? And so now it just magnifies their depression and anxiety. That's, that's one thing. I don't think we have a good answer for that. You know, I wish I could just wave my magic wand and say, fine, then don't be depressed and anxious, but that's not a reality. You know, you can't just wish that away. You can't just can't take that out of the equation. On the other hand, I do have a lot of women who are ambivalent about the pregnancy or just have depression, anxiety, and then have concerns about bonding not feeling excited about the pregnancy, not feeling connected to the pregnancy, worrying that they're not going to be connected to the baby. And that's, that's a real concern. That is a part of serious depression and anxiety that needs to be addressed. And so, you know, to be able to see a therapist and potentially they need to be on medication during the pregnancy. I mean, that's one aspect. I have a number of women who after the birth, having postpartum depression, a huge aspect of that is I don't feel connected or bonded to my child. I I bonded with my first one and I just don't really feel much for this one. I feel resentment or I just feel disconnected or I just feel tired and aggravated or there's so many different things that a mom can feel and then they feel guilty. So in, in addition to not feeling what they think that they should feel, they feel guilty that they're not feeling what they think they should feel. And then they feel depressed and anxious about what they're feeling and it just spirals. It's a form of pretty intense postpartum depression when you're not bonding with the child, not feeling attached to the child, not feeling happy about the child. I mean, it's that's pretty serious. And so again, having mental health support is, is incredibly important. And it's really challenging to get mental health support in this day and age. And so there's that. And then feeling maybe ambivalent about taking medication when you're feeling depressed. Then going back to Jenny, of, you know, her peripartum and postpartum depression has a very strong basis in the whole lack of communication with her husband and lack of desire for the pregnancy and lack of ability to have that conversation with him in a productive way and come to an agreement where they both feel like they're heard and, and getting their needs met. And so there's so much baggage behind the postpartum depression that she writes about. That's not just something that an antidepressant is going to fix. Right. And then there's the religious guilt. So you're adding a whole new dimension of guilt, you know, in addition to society and husband and culture and religious guilt is, is pretty intense and real. I'm so sorry to hear it. That sounds really hard to manage. What was it like at your house? Was your daughter excited at some point when she, she was, yeah, she wanted a sibling. We ended up, my second pregnancy had a boy and she, she wasn't excited about the boy part. (laughs) When we found out the sex of the baby, we told her and she threw herself onto the couch and started sobbing because she really wanted a sister rather than a brother. And then she was playing with her stuffed animals later that day. And she had them go to the hospital and have a baby and then return the baby to the hospital and exchange him for a sister. So she had to work through some things on her own. 
I, I so I have a, I'm one of four and my sister is eight years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I completely remember saying to my mother, don't come home from the hospital with a boy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, you know, kind of probably, I wonder if I it was probably on the cusp of ultrasound. So maybe they didn't know the sex. Yeah. So I, I have all sympathies for your daughter. Yeah. It's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Was the pregnancy physically relatively straightforward? Yes. That one was physically fairly straightforward. Mentally and emotionally, it wasn't. But physically, it progressed pretty smoothly. Well, I'm grateful for that because if yeah. you had, you know, <laughs> high blood pressure in the second trimester, you, yeah. you know, you'd be like, are you kidding? This yeah. is, and yeah. it's hard and ruining my body. Yeah. So then let's go to the birth. And, and how does all that unfold? Yeah. So, you know, and here it echoes my daughter's birth in interesting ways because I didn't know what my body starting labor would feel like. I just didn't know. So as the due date, well, actually it was, well, he was born about a week early before, well, due dates, you know, they're all hypothetical anyway, (laughs) but as the, the due date neared, I started to have those Braxton Hicks contractions again from like two to 5 AM. And so I was like, is this it? Is this it again? And frustrated with that once again. And then one night, you know, I was having these Braxton Hicks contractions. I couldn't sleep, but that had been the case for the past three nights. So I was just walking laps around inside the house. And, you know, eventually they became stronger, but they weren't consistent yet. So sometimes they'd be two minutes apart and then they'd be 10 minutes apart. And it just, you know, I was like, body, what are you doing? But then all of a sudden it just switched. And you know, they were consistent and they were strong. So I was like, okay, I think we need to do something. So I woke up my husband, but we aren't from Arkansas. So we don't have family nearby. So we needed to call a friend to come watch our daughters that we could go to the hospital. And she lived 30 minutes away. So we were waiting for her to come. And in the meantime, it's like, we don't have 30 minutes. So, you know, he was just coming. So he ended up being born in, in our bedroom. Wow. Yeah. What, so that sounds like a fairly stressful, a fairly stressful thing to understand in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, we're not going to make it to the hospital. Yeah. Are you doing all this figuring out or your husband is doing it or. It was mostly me, but it didn't feel stressful to me. It felt okay, like, all right this isn't happening. Right. Or this is happening. (laughs) We aren't going anywhere. And again, there's no choice. Right. So it felt once again, like, you know, my body wasn't giving me the option. It was saying, this is what's happening right now. So, so let's do this. I think it was a lot more stressful for my husband than it was for me. He was very nervous and I was like, meh. It almost seems like the universe heard you say, I didn't want the intervention. Yeah. I wanted it unmedicated. And they're like, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can give you that. Yeah. I did. I had a, or I had hired a doula who I was working with for that pregnancy. And she ended up saying afterwards, I think you were just in labor denial because <laughs> you didn't want to go to the hospital, <laughs> which I don't know, maybe, you know, deep in my subconscious, that was the case, but I, you know, I was actually pretty pleased with how that birth occurred. I felt more empowered in that situation than 
I had expected to. Do the midwives arrive after the baby's born or how does that all work? Yeah, the baby was born and the doula arrived at our house. And then eventually we called in the hospital and an ambulance transported me to the hospital to have him checked out and everything. But you guys cut the cord and you delivered the placenta and all that stuff by yourself? Yep. Yep. Wow. That seems incredible to me. And then you like walk to the ambulance or they carry you out? They carried me out. Yeah. And the baby was totally fine. The baby was fine. Yep. He was a little cold. So they warmed him in a heated incubator for a little bit after we got to the hospital. But otherwise he was fine. Yeah. And given your entrance into that delivery, are you feeling any of the euphoria of having delivered once it's over? I think, I think a great deal of relief. Okay. Yeah. I think I felt a great deal of relief and I was impressed with what my body did and that my body was able, you know, was able to do that on its own really. And are, are you happy to jump back into breastfeeding or what's your relationship with that? I was, it's so strange because you forget a lot once that time period has passed. So I, I feel like I forgot a lot from my daughter after that time period had passed. And then when my son was born, I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) I remember this part. (laughs) I remember what it's like to wake up, you know, every hour and a half throughout the night and have one half of your shirt soaking wet from milk that's yeah. you know, spraying out of the other breast while you're trying to breastfeed on the other side and be wet from those night sweats you get yeah. those first few weeks afterwards. And yeah, it felt familiar <laughs> in an intense way. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. And no high blood pressure this time. No high blood pressure. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's excellent. What was this postpartum like? It was... I mean, it was a challenge mentally and emotionally much more than it was with, with my daughter. So I definitely struggled with some postpartum depression afterwards, just because of how physical that period is and how much work it is, right? You can't half time being a parent of a newborn or, you know, it's, it's demanding physically, mentally, emotionally. And since this wasn't an experience I felt I had signed up to do a second time. That was a challenge for me. So I struggled with that adjustment, but persevered, I guess. I'm glad you made it to the other side, although that sounds like a difficult road to traverse, especially if you're not, if the switch does not flick in you at some point during the pregnancy, right? Because it's, yeah. it just gets harder, right? Yeah. It just gets yeah. harder to manage. And there's, yeah. and you know, you thought your autonomy was, being pressed when you were pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. wait till he's here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> then, yep. So that sounds difficult. Having gone through that, would you have advice for younger Jenny if she to do it again? Or are you too close in time to the birth or the pregnancy to have a perspective on it? <laughs> I mean, my advice for younger Jenny would be, I mean, I guess my advice for myself in the moment during those some of those difficult periods would be that this is normal, right? I think we 
don't always recognize how normal complicated reactions to pregnancy and the postpartum period can be and it is couched or framed as abnormal or pathological when in fact you know any any woman who is pregnant or raising an infant in a situation where she doesn't have the support she needs is going to feel strained right and is going to be anxious or depressed and and things like that so I would tell myself it's normal and that you'll get through it. But I would also tell myself that it's okay to be more assertive about your choices and your autonomy. That's such a good point to say that it's normal because there are no other experiences that you have in your life that are complicated. And first of all, in my experience, nothing is physically demanding as this. So to imagine that it's all not even like, rosebuds and rainbows, but that you'll be happy about it yeah. all yeah. the time yeah. is such a yeah. weird fiction yeah. that is present everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about childbirth throughout the centuries, especially I'd say pre, pre-modernization, globalization, women were never alone, right? If they had a baby, they had sisters, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, community members around them all the time helping. It was a community. You know, it wasn't like what's ex- what I experienced and what I think a lot of women today experience is it's you and the baby in a bedroom at night, right? Or, you know, people come by to see the baby and say hi, but there are long stretches of time where you're alone in the house with a newborn and that's not what's normal, right? So no wonder so many women struggle. That is totally true. Like you, we lived not close to family. Mm-hmm. And so family would visit for a week and be super yeah. helpful for a week and then leave and yeah. then you're alone again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is a totally different experience when you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very good point. Now I'm excited to read about all your writing on this. <laughs> we're, we're, tell, tell us a little bit about what you've written and where we can find it. Sure. I'm going to let the dog in quickly so he stops barking. That's fine. To be honest, I'm excited. It's your dog and not mine. (laughs) Yeah, well, as a a writer, you know, my impulse when feeling conflicted or about something occurring in life is to research it and write about it and try and unpack and understand it that way. So I've written a lot about motherhood and a lot about evolutionary biology in the context of motherhood and feminism. So I've written somewhat political essays about bodily autonomy in the context of, you know, the Trump administration when I had my second pregnancy. And then I've also written a lot of essays exploring motherhood from that perspective of evolutionary biology and what kind of environment were most humans raising children in during that long hunter-gather period and in what ways do we not have those environments in place right now in a manner that causes complexities and makes it especially difficult or lonely i guess to be a mother today that sounds so interesting and and so on point and something that gets lost in the discussion of motherhood and what you should be and what the cultural expectation yeah, yeah. suggests. Do you have a website? I do. It's jenniferlcase.com. And there are some links to essays there. So I've published some pieces and I have one in the rumpus and a, one on breastfeeding and evolutionary biology. 
currently in the North American Review, and I have a piece in Literary Mama and Ecotone. So, and then I have a short piece actually that just came out in Diagram Magazine that's available online. Okay, cool. Well, I will definitely link to that. Yeah. Jenny, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's so interesting. And I look forward to seeing more of your writing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was so fun to talk about. Thanks again to Dr. Matityahu for giving us a larger context in which to understand the often complicated set of feelings that come with an unintended pregnancy. Thanks also to Jenny for sharing her story. This is not the kind of thing you'll see on most social media. Instagram and Facebook, or Meta now, I guess, are for bright, shiny moments. And seeing those all the time sometimes makes us lose track of the whole picture. I'll include links to Jenny's website on the War Stories from the Womb website in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, feel free to subscribe and share it with friends. We'll be back soon with another inspiring story.